Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. Poetry is language at its most distilled and most powerful. That was Rita Dove that wrote that. I thought a poem would be a good way to introduce my guest, Sidney Lee, who is named Vermont's Poet Laureate. He's the author of 23 books, and his current book, What Shines, is published by Four Way Books and available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. The book dives into the blessings and challenges of aging. It's full of reminiscence and hope. Clearly, Sidney writes from an older, wiser point of view and answers the question many of his contemporaries ask, in this late hour, what lights do we have to see by? For everything about Sydney, go to sydneylee.net, and that's L-E-A, but it's pronounced Lee, sydneylee.net. And Sydney, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ira. I'm pleased to be here. Well, I have a real basic question to start it off, and that is, what drew you to poetry in the beginning? Well, uh, that's an interesting question, because I was really, in spite of the fact that I've been fairly voluminous in my <laughs> output since, I'm pretty late bloomer as a poet. And I, I give you the Reader's Digest version. I, I was teaching at Dartmouth College. It had no creative writing courses. Of course, I'm 81. I'd never even heard of such a thing. And, uh, and uh, the chair of the department was a great friend of mine. And, and uh, he, he said, you haven't finished your PhD dissertation. I said, well, I know. He said, well, you know, you've got to do it within the next couple of years or, or there's no chance that you're staying here. You'll have to go someplace else. And uh, I said, I've been really wrestling with it. I'm just having a hard time. I'll get it done. I'll get it done, I hope. And he said, well, I've, I've, got, a, I've got a solution for you uh, or something at least that will help you. And he said, uh, the kids are clamoring for this writing course, whatever that may be. And, uh, and we're going to give it to them. They can write whatever they want, poetry, drama, fiction, whatever. And we'll let you teach it. And I said, well, me, why, why on earth would it be me? And he said, well, it's not a real course. You know, <laughs> it'll save you preparation time. Just go in there, read what they say, pat them on the head, and, and uh, then turn your attention to getting this uh, job done. And when I started to teach that class, I must say, using the term very loosely, uh, I became re-intrigued by writing. I had done some when I was in... Uh, in college, uh, almost exclusively prose, um, but only for myself. There was nobody really to show it to. A couple of good friends. Uh, my roommates were both hard scientists, so they didn't have much interest. But uh, so I, I, and then I stopped. I'd followed a doctoral program, and I just started to teach. And I was very busy, and it, it didn't. I, I thought that you know, writing as a career was something that happened to other people, not not to me. But uh, the, the further I was stimulated by the struggles of my students to put the inexpressible into expression, uh, the more intrigued I became. And uh, I, I, for, for now four generations now, I think my, uh, my family's had a little cabin uh, up in a very wild part of the state of Maine and uh, I first went there as, uh, you know, as a, just more than a toddler and been back off and on ever since. And since, since 1967, when I bought my own little cabin for 500 bucks. Nice. Uh, 
I've I've never missed uh, a year, and uh, I, by virtue of uh, of uh, simple uh, chronology, um, I met men and women in that context who had uh, lived very rough lives uh, before power tools arrived, uh, and for the women. Uh, nothing in the way of so-called modern conveniences. They both, both genders worked like crazy. And uh, they they had to make their own entertainment because they didn't even have radios. They didn't have electricity or whatever. And and so they, they turned into these terrific raconteurs. I mean, some were really, really good, but all were pretty good. And I, I would absorb these uh, stories in lumber camps and kitchens and in boats and wherever I happen to be with these old folks. And uh, I hear their voices to this day, you know, I mean, every day they're all gone now. So when I started to, to write, I thought, you know, I really would like to capture those voices somehow, but I didn't want to try and do it in dialect because I was afraid it was, I would sound condescending and that was not the way I felt. So I decided early on, if maybe if I if if I wrote stories like theirs, but I I did it in in poetry, that uh, I might capture some of the flavor of their language without having to imitate. So early on, I I I was almost exclusively a narrative poet. Sometimes I wrote narratives as long as you know fifteen twenty pages, and though so that has uh, waned over time, um, I still have. A, I, Underneath each of my poems, there's a, there's a story uh, that has somehow prompted it or brought to mind by the simple act of sitting down and starting to use uh, language. That's a rather elaborate answer to your question. I hope it didn't go on too long. Not at all. But I, I, I'd like to delve into one other aspect of that. I quoted earlier Rita Dove, and I wanted to quote Voltaire. He said, one merit of poetry few persons will deny. It says more and in fewer words than prose. When you started to work in poetry, and maybe we should go even further and define what poetry is from your point of view. Let's let's do that first and then get more into a, why people are interested in poetry. Well, since the modern poets, you know, Eliot, Pound, Stevens, Frost, and so on, uh, I'm going to use... <laughs> A billowy definition, definition that a poet critic friend of mine named John Holden uh, used in a, a book of his called The Rhetoric of Contemporary Poetry. He said, a, a poem in uh, the 21st century is that unit of language which the author chooses to call a poem. We have <laughs> traditional, uh, you know, people who write sonnets and write ballads and uh, write in traditional forms. Uh, we have people who are so-called prose poets, you know, they write uh, in a kind of a lyrical manner, but uh, without line breaks and things of that nature. There's computer-generated poetry, there has been, and now the AI thing, God knows what uh, the future of that uh, may be. So it's very hard uh, to say for me what poetry is in, in, in general, because you know, you could get two poets in a room and they could, you know, they could come to verbal blows over uh, trying to pinpoint, pinpoint a, a definition. Oh, wait, I, wanted, I want to pin you down, though, Sidney, because you were a Vermont's poet laureate. So you have to have some sort of official 
definition of poetry just by <laughs> your office. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> I'm out of it, by the way. <laughs> I, I understand that, but at one time you were. So if we well, I'll, I'll, it's, it's a it's a difficult but a good question, <laughs> and uh, I can only say what it is for me, and that is, uh, I think the chief delight for me in writing poetry is, uh, you know, I will take. Um, I never know where I'm going when I start a poem. And if I do know where I'm going, it's not going to be very good because there won't be any excitement in discovering what it is. But for me, it's it, it's a curious way of finding connections that wouldn't be obvious, you know, off the top of your head. Uh, I, I, the, I have a poem in this uh, book called Disappearances in which the speaker, presumably me, uh, looks at a candle stub and it makes him think, and he can't even remember why, of watching a railroad train go down a small town track uh, and uh, with a lantern swaying off the caboose. And I somehow I, I wrote my way to the connection between those two things. And the other thing I think that poetry can, can, can accomplish that other modes of discourse can't or can't so, so uh, particularly is that uh, Poetry can keep alive uh, a number of uh, impulses, emotions, ideas, some of them con contradictory of one another, uh, and st still not seem a, a muddle. And I always use as, a, um, uh, as an example the local hero Robert Frost's uh, famous poem called The Road Not Taken, which everybody takes to graduations and retirement dinners and whatever it may be to as an example of good old Yankee individualism, and in the process, completely ignore lines in the poem. Uh, you know, I, you know, why is it not called the road traveled? <laughs> why is it called the road untraveled? For starters, <laughs> and then it says both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Equally lay, and the passing there had worn them really about the same. So the possibility. Uh, exists that this uh, this road that he took was uh, a product of mere whimsy, uh, happenstance. Uh, on the other hand, I don't think that the poem is entirely devoid either of the traditional reductive uh, 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 interpretation, which is, you know, this is a testimony to my self-reliant, Emersonian self-reliance. And I like the fact that the uh, and almost, and Frost is better at this than anybody. Almost any poem of his you read is is, is ambiguous without, as I say, being just a mess. Uh, 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 I, I can't think of a poem in which there aren't contradictory impulses at work. You know, I remember seeing the old boy once uh, when I was in my 20s, when he was giving a reading at the graduate school that I was attending. And uh, afterwards, there was a question and answer. And the, the uh, one of the graduate students said, "Well, Mr. Frost, uh, what is the meaning of stopping by woods on a snowy evening?" And he looked out and with a little smile, and he said, "If you're looking, I mean, what is the message?" Is what he said. <laughs> Frost said, "If you're looking for a message, call Western Union." <laughs> Which nowadays not that many people use. But uh, you mentioned what you enjoyed about writing poetry and that is the surprise you don't know where it's going and that's yeah certainly for any artist that's that's important but i 
don't know what it does for other people. In other words, you have to look at it, I think, as two ways. What it does for you as the writer of poetry, but what are you looking to do with the people that are reading the poetry that you write? What do you, what are you trying to influence them about or just communicate with them about? I don't know that I'm necessarily trying to influence them in, in the sense of making them act or think uh, in a certain way. Uh, I want um, I want them to enjoy the the uh, poem at the level of language primarily. Uh, does it sound? Is it something whose language is intriguing uh, 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 to them? Uh, and then, I mean, beyond that, in a way, I've, I've always felt once I release a poem out in the open, uh, out in public, publish it in a magazine or, or in book form, uh, then it's, it's up to the reader in many ways. Um, so you're not looking to you're not looking to provide insight necessarily with your poetry. You are no, expressing I, I yourself mean, as an artist. Insight, I think, by being true to experience, because I tend. You know, my my poems do tend, even when they don't use the 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 pronoun I, they do tend to be personal in in, in many ways. Uh, and uh, I do want them to provide provide them with insights into the way I may have felt. One of the things that happens in this new book of mine, and I didn't really discover it until I had a whole bunch of poems, and I decided I had enough for a book, and I wanted to see how I'd fit them together, was. Uh, you know, you get to be 80 when this book was published. And uh, and again, it's called What Shines. Yeah, What Shines. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm in pretty good health, but uh, the Reaper can't be that far down the pike. It's a lot closer than, <laughs> than uh, middle age. And uh, so one becomes reminiscent and kind of looks back over one's life and, uh evaluates it in various ways, sometimes with pleasure, sometimes with pain, usually mixed. Uh, but what, one of the things that really intrigued me uh, in writing this book, or in arranging this book, I should say, is the number of times in which um, I implicitly compare how I saw or experienced something at one stage in my life and how I look at it now. Uh, and uh, uh, Countless uh, uh, poems, including the title poem, which is a reminiscent of a nine-year-old sledding trip. Uh, or I think trip is probably a little bit epic for the experience, sliding down the hill a few times. Uh, and uh, so uh, I, I think, I, I don't think that the book is only for geezers like me. Uh, I think anybody who is reflective uh, on the course of his or her life can can relate to uh, uh, a lot that is uh, a lot that is in it are some of the poems sad melancholy well i think uh many perhaps most uh are uh there's something about poetry which invites the uh, you know the 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 inner complainer that's that's a little bit shallow. <laughs> i like that the inner complainer I think that's <laughs> It has something to do with, uh, you know, sitting down and you, it's a very lonely thing in a way. You're looking at this blank sheet of paper and wondering if you can put words on it that will make it better than the blank original. Uh, and uh, that's uh, that's challenging. But uh, no, I can't remember what was the thread. Uh, 
You just asked me a question and I... Well, in terms of your writings, melancholy and... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You were asking if it was melancholy. Uh, Well, it's pretty hard looking around at the world today, but it always was, and not to feel a little melancholy um, and uh, uh, fearful, uh, angry, what have you. Uh, but I, the, 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 most of my books, I try and arrange most of my books, or all of my books, I try to do this. I don't know if I succeed or not, and I don't know if anybody notices, but I like their trajectory to, to be toward a kind of cautious, a guarded optimism uh, that, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> as what does Obama say, keep hope alive kind of uh, a gesture just in the uh, in the ordination uh, uh, of the book. I think, though, that poetry can have two paths or maybe more to take. One is what you just described and your cautious optimism, but there could also be joy as well. And you could look at, for example, a life at a certain age and go, yeah, I, I kind of screwed up here. I kind of screwed up there, but I also did this and I also enjoyed that. And I'm in relatively good health. And why not just embrace and enjoy life without the melancholy? Well, I think, uh, I think uh, you know, most of my poems in this book imply a more joyous or at least a more uh, cheerful uh, 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 component in addition to whatever melancholy there may be. There may be. Uh, I, I'm not uh, someone who sits around depressed all day long. I, I, I find myself, and I think this is reflected in the book, unusually blessed in the sense that, uh, you know, I've this uh, wife of mine of four plus decades is still my best friend and my most beloved creature. Uh, but I have uh, five children whom I adore. Uh, happily, three of them live in the state of Vermont and uh, seven soon to be eight grandchildren, all of whom live in the state of Vermont. Uh, I'm financially secure. My health is pretty good. Um, so, I mean, I have very little to complain about. Well, you just contradicted yourself, Sydney. So, in essence, well, you shouldn't be writing any poetry because you're in good shape. <laughs> I think that I think that I, I'm, I'm describing my my personal life. It's a right. different thing. Somehow, there's a different dimension to when you sit down. And right, in a way, you're trying to distill things. Uh, Rita's comment at the beginning is, is, is exemplary. Uh, you're trying to distill things which are very far-ranging far and wide and uh, include good, evil, happy, sad, what have you. And, uh, that, uh, and that somehow that brings out a strain in one's perhaps subconscious um, that... Uh, uh, of um, which is more worrisome. I mean, I, uh, I, I I try not to. I try and treat each day as a gift, uh, as long as I'm vertical and, and as they say, in good health. Uh, but you know, like anybody else, uh, especially at my age, there's plenty of grief to go around. You know, I mean, I lost my very very dearest friend uh, to whom this book is dedicated. Uh, a couple of years ago, I mean, no justice in the world, 17-time marathon runner, never smoked or drank, and he got a kind of duodenal cancer that killed him in six months, and that was a real, that, that was a real cause for mourning, and still is, actually, even 
several years afterwards. And uh, at my age, you know, I get news every week of an old classmate or an old acquaintance or something who has dropped by the uh, wayside. So there's there's plenty to be uh, mournful about, but that's a different thing from being uh, merely, uh, what's the word I want, uh, uh, you know, reclusive and retentive mm -hmm. and, and uh, depressed and uh, self-regarding and so on. Uh, to your point, to your point, Sydney, though, I mentioned earlier in this late hour, what light do we have to see by? Are you, because of you, you just laid it out a moment ago, you, you know, you're financially secure. You have a wonderful family, all these grandchildren, you love living in Vermont, uh, et cetera. Do you have words of advice for people that may not be as in good a shape as you are in all those ways, health, finance, family, et cetera. Do you have, do you think poetry can inspire people who, and I know I er, earlier on talked to you about, about inspiring and you don't look necessarily to inspire people, but could people read your poetry and gain some insight that might see them, see them looking at themselves in a different way, a more optimistic way or cautiously optimistic way, as you like to put it. Um. Well, I hope so. I, you know, I, it's, as I say, it's something I have very little control of. Uh, when somebody reads something of mine, it's uh, it's in their in their court. Uh, but I, I, I think the, I think such words of wisdom as I may have, uh, I learned from the recovery community in which I've been blessed to uh, belong for a long, long time, and that is to keep. Try and keep everything in the present. Uh, make the best of what's right in front of you. What you're, where you're standing, uh, and each day is a uh, is a gift. Uh, especially as one of those old boys up in Maine used to say when he and he he died at 94, I think, but toward the end of his life, said, "How are you today, Earl?" He said, "Well, every day I get up, I'm tempting the Lord at this age." But uh, I I'm not completely successful at this, but I try not to project down the road too far because generally what I expect as in writing poetry, it's not what I, it's not what turns out to be the case uh, in the long run. I've spent a lot of my middle-aged years projecting and worried about outcomes uh, that uh, I had no control over and that, uh, as I say, usually worked out quite differently from how I had first uh, so I, I, I work to keep overcoming that. I have, a, I have, a, like many people, I think I, I, it's easy to relapse and start thinking, well, gee, I wish, you know, I wish the youngest grandchild weren't just five because I won't know him as well as I know his older uh, cousins and so on and so forth. But uh, that doesn't do anybody any good. So I try and. Oh. It sounds to me as if, in addition to be, being a wonderful poet, that you're a human. Well, <laughs> I, uh, a human, and I, I, I hope uh, possessed of a considerable degree of humility, because a little humility never hurt anybody. Oh, you're, you're right about that. I want and to go back. It, it, one of the things that I object to amongst capital P poets is uh, – there are those who use their sensitivity uh, to uh, excuse uh, atrocious behavior. <laughs> I don't think that poets are any more sensitive than anybody else on earth, except perhaps to language. 
there are dentists who are as easily moved and feel mm-hmm. just as deeply as I do. And there are men working on the roads and women working in fry kitchens uh, who are just as sensitive as I'll ever be. Uh, so uh, I think it's well to bear that in mind. I want to go back to one thing because I, 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 it's like a, a dog with a bone. I, I keep coming back to this in a different way because clearly you have a, a view of what your poetry means to you and then it's up to everybody else to interpret it the way they want to, which is fine. But are there poets that in fact write poetry with the idea of giving insight to people or proposing certain things, certain ideas, certain concepts and, and pushing it out there that way? I, I, I think there are. Uh, but, uh, and this is only my opinion of humility prevailing, as I say, I hope it yes, will, of course. Uh, is that I, my tendency is to think that poetry of that nature tends not to be very good poetry. It, it, it would, uh, the, the sentiments belong better in a speech or a letter to an editor. Uh, one of the great problems with political poetry, I think, is that, uh, yeah, and even when I agree with the politics of the author, is this person is writing about something that she or he already is convinced of. In other words, there's no element of discovery uh, in the process uh, of writing, and I think that's what uh, I think that's what enlivens poetry. Again, a quote the the great genius of the area, Robert Frost, is no, no surprise in the writer, none in the reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I'll say that, you know, uh, I, I have, uh, I don't know every poet on earth. I know plenty of them, though. <clears throat> and many of them will complain about, oh, well, we don't get read enough. Uh, you know, it's because of commercialism or capitalism or whatever it may be. Uh, and they never turn the light upon themselves. There's a lot of poetry out there, and I'm old enough that I don't care what the smart people think. There's a lot of poetry out there that I cannot make head and tail of. And life seems too short in, as an octogenarian to spend a lot of time trying to somehow get into the poem and get some sense of what is, what is going on. Who's talking? Who's there? Where are they? So you don't, you don't want to walk. You don't. You don't want to work that hard. Like, no, uh, and I, you know, I, I keep going back to Frost because he is such a presence in my part of the world. Uh, that uh, you can you can take a Robert Frost poem. I think he's one. He's a very complex poet, as I suggested by the number of ideas he can keep hanging at once. Uh, but everybody can get something out of a Robert Frost poem you know that he's in a sled uh, being drawn by a horse and passing by some woods and stopping. You know that much. That's an invitation into the poem as far as I'm concerned. If you don't have that kind of thing, and I think that, you know, I said that I'd I'd stopped writing poetry that was specifically narrative, but I've always had some allegiance to what I call narrative values. That is to say, you know, who are the characters? Uh, What's the setting? Uh, dialogue, things of that nature. Um, I think that's just a way of, you know, you can tackle the biggest issue you know, but at least you can be generous enough to to say, well, this is a chair and this is a table. Come in, sit down. Uh, You know, uh, I've always lived in all my adult, 55 years, almost 60 years, I've lived in upper New England. And and, uh, we first moved to this place 32 years ago. 
we had a neighbor. He was uh, about eighth generation Vermonter, uh, just a wonderful neighbor, but a totally, totally unfiltered sensibility. And uh, when we arrived, he came up to me and he said, uh, I understand you're a writer. I said, well, yeah, I, I'm one of them. And he said, well, I ain't going to read anything you wrote because I just read Louis L'Amour. And once you get done reading him, you don't want to read nobody else. All right. Uh, so, fine. I'm sure that except for a few satiric birthday and anniversary poems I wrote for him for, you know, for uh, parties and that sort of thing. I'm sure he never did read a word of what I said. <laughs> However, when I sit down, I like to imagine that if Tink were still alive, he died in 97, about four years ago. Uh, if Tink were still alive, he could pick this up. And he could get something out of it. You know, he could he, he could know what the neighborhood was and who the people were and what the issue was and so on and so forth. So I think that that, um, that allegiance to, uh, to being accessible, at least on that level, uh, is uh, it's just very important to me. Before I let you go, last question, and we're going back to Robert Frost. Robert Frost. Frost lives on in his poetry. He's immortal in a way. Do you see yourself in that same vein that you would like for your poetry to live forever? <laughs> I mean, what poet wouldn't? Uh, I, oh, that's what I'm asking. Uh, of course <laughs> I do. I, I hope it will appear on a plaque on every building in Vermont. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I, you know, for me to use the, uh, the word immortal as, as, as applied to myself or to my work, uh, that would completely contradict what I said earlier about the virtues of humility. Well, that, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Sidney Lee's author of What Shines, published by Four Way Books, and it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. For everything about Sydney, go to sydneylee.net, and that's L-E-A, sydneylee.net. And Sydney, thanks for being on the show. Well, it's a great pleasure, Ira. Thank you. You're a challenge, but you're a great host. Thank you. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.